Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Stay tuned with the two, two O's. See? We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to yet another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the one and only podcast that guarantees that it's a gross waste of electrons with no excess carbon emissions yet. And if you listen very carefully, you get to hear stuff. This week, we're in episode 502. We crossed the big 500 two weeks ago. Uh, And if you didn't listen to it, if you missed it, Hit the rewind button. Check it out. It was a lot of fun. Um, But however, it is yet another mask mandated event here at the Area 51. Uh, 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 um, um, We locked down. (laughs) Commander Cam is in his uh, gerbil cage again. Uh, He's running through the uh, through the tunnels. Commander Cam, how are you tonight? I'm doing good, but I got a question for you, Dome. Uh-oh. Did you did you like your 500th anniversary present? I did. I did. It was oh. it was so nice to have uh a lot of our old friends back again. Uh did you enjoy it as well? Oh, yes, you betcha. It was a lot of fun. Is it it's just like I think we all just dropped right into our usual roles and had a good old we? time. Yeah. Didn't we? It was it was it was uh it was uh, it was uh, uh, like having a barrel full of elephant, <laughs> and which was then, what the, uh, which was the other possibility of what I was yeah. going to get you for a present. But I decided to go with this one. Yeah, it was it was very nice to have uh, Illustrator X from the Four Color House of Comics uh, back in back in the uh, back in the saddle with us, and Kriana and Sombrarian joining us again and Kriana not being able to hide behind her soundboard again. <laughs> oh, I think she did quite well for not hiding behind that soundboard. I agree. I agree. And, uh, Zombrarian to tell the, uh, I had a robot story one more time. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah. It was very nice. It was very nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. And nostalgia is good. And once more again tonight, uh, at the end of the show, there will be another Dr. K special uh, song. Uh, we have a couple left in the old big band box of fun. <laughs> we have at least two more. So, yeah, there will good. be a couple more to go. Uh, so at the end of the show, please do stay tuned for the the crooner from beyond the grave. 
we need to re-release this album as that the crooner from beyond the crooner the from beyond the grave uh once more releasing his his album homage to dead guys or whatever um anyway on to uh tonight's book if you ever read the story uh the prince and the pauper by uh charles dickens and i'm betting you didn't it's a kind of uh the original body switch story uh i believe that may be the original body switch story of uh, uh a rich guy body switching with a poor guy and it's the original fish out of water story of of two young adults and you fast forward that into the 21st century and you have a book that when it was pitched to me to read i kind of went well this is going to be very different now isn't it and i was handed i was handed the the pdf of i am umi a body the body switch comedy by Thorsten Nesh. And we have Thor with us tonight. Thor, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Oh, thanks for having me. I have a constant smile here listening to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, so. that, that may turn into body cramps before we're done, but there's, <laughs> there's not much I can do about that. Um, and, you know, as, as uh, the commander and I were reading the book, it was like, and I did mention to him, you know, this this kind of oral tradition of this book goes all the way back to The Prince and the Pauper because the setup is almost exactly the same, uh, except this time it is a technological fluke there that body switches them. And it's not that they're twins. It is this technological fluke that switches a boy and a girl into different bodies. Uh, and there is a, uh, hmm, how to put this, a definite writing style that makes it very unique in the way this happens. Uh, where did you come up with doing it the way that you've done it? Yeah, um, yeah, you mentioned already that the body switch idea itself, I didn't invent. Uh, and uh, that was one of actually my, 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 my first worries when I got the idea initially, uh, if I repeat something, right? And uh, um, I did a lot of research and uh, finally for myself, like the way I viewed it, I was like, ah, maybe I can tweak a little bit more, you know, and do a countdown that they have to switch back in a certain time and stuff. Um, but a major, a very major one for all my novels is like uh, the the writing style or the uh, um, the, the perspective as well. Um, that's why I always tell my readers uh, always check the first one two pages because I don't have that Stephen King style that you recognize after the first chapter. <laughs> it's what is very odd. <laughs> Yeah, uh, almost uh, uncomfortable style that you you bring to this story that took me aback in the very beginning, and I had to really get used to the writing style. 
but once you got used to it, it's like it, it was a, a a talking teenage perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that was the the first uh, idea, of course. Well, then, okay, who is one of the two is a narrator, and I couldn't decide until I I thought like you know what. Both are first-person narrators, and I just have to kind of strongly do the difference uh, linguistically between the two of them. That that is uh, should be recognized just like when you hear them talk and speak. But yeah, definitely, uh, I, I I when I write from the point of view of a, of a young adult or of a teenager, uh, you will hear that. Except there is an uh, explanation. For example, you have an older brother that likes political comedy, and you listen to that all the time. Then your narration voice is different. I have that with a different novel, for example. But here, these two, like uh, single kids and uh, just different backgrounds, I chose it this way. And it's very clear uh, from very early on in the book um, who is Frank and who is Nicole. And when the body switch occurs, it's still very clear whose mind is where and which body they're in. And when the switch occurs, um, it's part Disney movie and just part slapstick. Yeah. 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 I, I felt like the, the taste, if I would describe it, it's always like one of those wholehearted uh, uh, D- Disney movies getting rear-ended by a shameless at, at one point. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, a fair, that's a fair description, I think. That's a very fair description. <laughs> um, so, I, for example, this, this book in, in, German, in Germany, the German version is also read in schools between Denmark and Italy. And I did readings at many schools there. And uh, one one Catholic school phoned me prior to it, and if, that I should not read a certain chapter. <laughs> and I, I said, "Let I me can... think about that for a minute." Yeah, I can see I've that. Got a, yeah. I've got a couple guesses which chapters that was. <laughs> yeah, I told them I can't promise, and she said like she has to phone me back the next day, and then it was okay for them. So I give them the slack, and uh, but yeah, it is juicy in a way, and and like. Uh, I, I must say, I got very, very strong responses from teenagers that are, of course, they are then a little younger. You usually, if they are 15, you read to maximum 15, so 14 and 13 year old. And they came towards me afterwards and saying things like, this was the first novel they ever finished, uh, up to the point uh, that they have a strong connection, actually, to the homeless person in there that uh, mm-hmm. talks to talks to Frank like uh, an adult, almost to an adult, right? And kind of talks about like, you know, girls and stuff. And uh, and literally like more than one boy came up to me, thanks, I, I, you know, like I did that now. I just walked up and told her about my feelings, you know, and that is great. It's like this, the, those, those kids will never forget neither the novel nor that moment in real life. Yeah, it, it, and that was one of the things I really did love is is some of those interactions, some of those character students are like the homeless gentleman whose name is, is escaping me right at the moment. But uh, and, and all these characters that you've introduced, you, you the uh, mother, um, Nicole's <laughs> mother, because yeah. the characters are Frank and Nicole. And I believe it's Nicole's mommy. Mother, <laughs> mommy. Yes. 
because I don't think we ever got a specific name in that case. No. <laughs> uh, but she she was such an interesting and well developed character. Same thing was true with Frank's uh, Frank's dad Frank's dad and the uh, the, uh, the and the uh, the girlfriend that's hanging around. Which brings yeah. me to this interesting little you know thing that I saw there is you have both children coming from what you would almost want to call broken families. Because neither of of both parents are there. In one case, the mother is not present in the case of Frank. And yeah. in the case of Nicole, the father is, well, he exists, but he's not, certainly not present in the story. He's in Singapore, and Lord knows where he's going to be next week. And I was just, I was interested, you know, why did, and again, it's this interesting thing where it's the, it's the opposite gender parent that is not present. Why did you choose to go that route? You know, with, with having that be the, you know, having being both parents, not back that up, back that up, reverse that, say that again, is that why did you go that route where only one parent is present for each child? Yeah. Uh, that came, of course, and like in the beginning, you you try to come up with like, oh, there should be like pretty opposite, you know, and character and setting and stuff. But you also want to give them something uh, they can relate to each other. If 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 I word that out loud later in the novel or not, uh, that might just be dropped, like during the course of writing a novel. But uh, the option or that theme or that that uh, angle on the theme, or as you say, like you notice that not only is one parent missing, but it's also the opposite, um, uh, gives them gives them again like that adds to their they're all over the the feeling and uh, the I mean also the thoughts that went into it. But for them, without them, I think they don't discuss that necessarily. They, maybe it came came up one time. Uh, but it gives them something to relate to, you know, like that uh, it's not it's all not all roses and stuff or he's he might sees it as roses. Haha, <laughs> he just has a Porsche or the mama has a Porsche and uh, and all the, the, the bling bling that he likes. Uh, um, and and the fact is, it is I describe more the average than the exception right now. Right. From a reader's perspective, there are a lot of things going on um, that as you take, you don't even have to take a large step back, but as you take a small step back, there's a lot of compare and contrast uh, going on. Neither of the main characters are particularly great in school, <laughs> but yeah. for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, neither of the main characters is particularly attached to their families, but for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. Neither of the main characters is particularly uh, locked in with their families for very different reasons. And it's not till they switch that they begin to see why. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, as you're making this a young adult novel, um, did you make, were these specific choices that you were making? Yeah, re really like, um, 
when when uh, we talk about my novels, um, this one developed fairly fast. I think like from my first idea, it just took three years until I actually wrote it. So for me, it's between two and 15 years it takes until I actually start a novel. Uh, uh, everything has to be in place. These things I want to have down, especially when it comes down to the characters. I want to know how they feel, how they think, uh, how they uh, develop through that story, right? And um, as they are presented in the beginning, it is pretty much like almost like the other side of a mirror, but there you can see through that more and more. And if you are, let's say, as a, especially as a young adult, then again, if you're kind of in that family constellation that you are in, that's what you know or your neighborhood um, until you really get exposed to your drunkle or, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that live a different lifestyle. Or you have a friend all of a sudden that moved to your middle school or high school and he comes from the other spectrum. And uh, that, but that's how people grow, right? That is what. Uh, what makes us grow, not 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 uh, the stuff that we know already, but that's what, what we learn. And uh, I, I had a wonderful time, like seeing them actually how it unfolds on paper at that point. So I, I guess what I'm hearing you say, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, as I'm sure you should and will, <laughs> is that this, when, when you're doing this kind of a novel, there's there's a level of planning that's involved that takes an awful lot of work to do correctly. Yeah, especially with this. I mean, you guys obviously read it and read it really well. And I'm super glad, by the way, that happens not often. Uh, so I'm really, really appreciate this step. Well, it would suck if we didn't, because <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense yeah, to no, sit and talk about a book that you just haven't read. <laughs> <laughs> and I realize that there are times that that happens, you know, in your 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 part of the yeah. woods podcasts, and and that's just freaking stupid. But yeah, yeah, I mean, no, it just doesn't make any sense, especially with a book like this, where you know, you're not just telling a story. This this is really uh, at a number of levels a morality play that's happening out. Yeah, yeah, and well, you have to be able to disguise it you have to be able yeah. to put the frosting on the cake yeah. so that you're not preaching you're actually telling a story and through that story the morality play trickles out and you're doing a great job with this but in order to do it properly you have to have all the places you have to have all the parts in place first yes and and with this specific novel, with I'm you am I, um, which comes across probably as the, as you mentioned it right in the beginning, the language, right, like the how yeah. they talk and everything, it comes a very speedy and almost superficially over, but yeah. carries all this underbelly with it. And um, when I refer to writing this novel, although I wrote like classic novellas and you name it, right. Um, this one, I always refer, especially once they switch the body, okay, uh, I, I refer to that part on when I wrote it as uh, uh, playing chess three-dimensional. You not only, you know, 
the underbelly switch, but you know, the knowledge and uh, it, it was on so many facets that I had to, uh, to think of it, it, it was for me, I remember it very vividly writing it because it was such a challenge, but, but a positive and fun challenge, right? Like I really, I laughed out loud myself because I mean, I, I can plan stuff, but then, you know, like as scenes unfold, they might be funnier than, <laughs> than I expect. As you're putting these characters together, clearly they can't come fully formed, but as they come together, do you outline them? Do you build them? Do you build them separately? Do you build them together? How does that character development work? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because it sometimes it comes because it goes over a long time. It really it takes its time with me. Uh, and and uh, I try different things. Um, what I do, for example, for the story, but it all blends together, right? For, for the story itself, I just uh, take a, a letter size paper and do a timeline on it. And basically in, in, in short notes, I write the entire novel on there, just in notes, right? Like what happens about where, and then also then those things come in, how does she feel, how does he feel? And sometimes depending what happens, um, uh, I take a note on a different paper where then the uh, the characters uh, are more more developed and also with uh, and how the parents are or the, their friends or the, 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 the environment where they are. But that is a very, very uh, fluctuous, fluent, fluidy uh, uh, development. I can't, for example, I cannot, I, I can't sit down, let's say this week, I develop Frank. It just doesn't happen. It will be over the course of then maybe the whatever two or three years in this case uh, where it's like, oh yeah, that, I can see that type of guy, you know, and then I remember, you know, what else can he have, you know, and then, uh, you know, he has a runny nose and that was literally my best buddy in elementary school, right? He had that, that uh, they couldn't uh, do the surgery and he had a constantly runny nose and everybody he ran into looked at him as if he's like some some <laughs> German barbarian that doesn't know how to blow his nose. And uh, to imagine how that is as a kid or then as a young adult or even as a adult, because I've, as far as I know, they can just uh, correct that with 21 or 23 when all the bone structure is fully developed um, to run through life with a runny nose. Uh, you know, that was something, of course, I never forgot, let alone it was my best book, best friend, right? So, but these are all puzzle pieces. That is a, a puzzle piece from my personal past um, and other things develop according to then where the story is or where the, or where the character is at the time. Yeah, where did that, that was an odd little point of character reference. Right? And I kept trying to figure out why you thought that was important. Yeah, I mean, I he's also the uh, you know he's into boxing and the, um, why that was important. I I, th I I never heard of it in literature or in film at all as a as one of those. Usually they have a scar over the eye or over the cheek and right, 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 and, right. And and for me the nose is in the center of your face and and I he could not you know. Uh, uh, hide it. You can't hide it. You 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 know like well now right like during the pandemic you can hide it. You could you could hide it. But back then 
And I mean, we were like four years every day we spent together pretty much. Um, uh, you know, I, I've seen all the adults, right? Let's say, here, blow, I, I, you know, here's blow your nose into my napkin or whatever. And he did because he was just playing the game. But then it was like literally a minute later and they could have done the same thing. And after 10 times, everybody gave up and he anyway, right? And uh, I, I, we lost touch before we went into young adulthood. Uh, I moved uh, from one city to another, but I, I cannot imagine, right? Like people make fun of like something minor and he ran around uh, with a runny nose, you know, it's, uh, it's incredible. So that, that was, yeah. And there's something very humanizing about it, what you did there with Frank, because, you know, it's especially for kids that age when they're in their teens to not be able to have the ability to get rid of that thing that makes you different and makes you somebody that can be a target of ridicule. It really does, even though Frank can in some ways be very annoying in some ways, you suddenly start to feel for him when you get to that moment because kids at that age can be a bit cruel um, yeah. a bit um, but anyway but is that and so that you 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 really do give us this wonderful feel for this character and you make us really want to feel for him and and you know because it's like he ha he's carrying this 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 as far as social it's being able to socialize in high school it's it's a huge anchor around his neck so i really yeah. did like that part yeah, and, and I just, while, while you were talking, I, I, I remembered it was also because I could have given that trait to any of my other characters that I wrote before in my, my life, right? But here it was double important because I think for her, for Nicole, it would have been double gross, right? Like if she has to run around after body switch with it, you know? So, so there, that, that uh, led to another, uh, yeah another decision there the combination or the constellation of the characters it's very interesting to me that there are two ways one can attack a YA novel one can go after it by dumbing down and softening everything or one can go at it by sharpening their skills even more to make sure that this has everything that a regular novel would have and I'm wondering why you choose to do this, why you choose to work as hard with young adult novels as you do with a regular novel. Um, thanks for the question. Um, for me, it is, I want to tell the best story the best way I can. And I never planned on uh, writing young adult fiction uh, novels. You know, in my early 20s, I pictured myself now as a bohemian, maybe traveling between London, Paris, and Berlin, <laughs> talking to my colleagues all wearing scarves. 
um, and smoking goloas and drinking red wine, um, what I still would love to do. But uh, as a, <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 a good way to be. I have no yes, problem with that. Exactly. So, but life took a different turns a couple of times, and and I had once I had an idea, and it was a great idea, and I was thinking, why can I not sit down and get the characters down? It couldn't happened to 30-year-olds, uh, two students, I even tried pensioners. And then one day I had the idea, it's not this novel, and one day I had the idea, but what if this idea happens to young adults? And it was like a curtain was pulled open, right? And, and the first thing I had to do was doing research. I, to that point, I hadn't read a, one young adult fiction novel in my life. Um, I was socialized reading uh, thousands of comics early on. Uh, then I went to those Pulp Fiction novels, then into Stephen King, and then I read The Godfather when I was 15, and then I never looked back. So I, for half a year about, I just read uh, award-winning young adult fiction, then popular young adult fiction, and critical acclaimed young adult fiction, and and only then, after I read all these books, I think it was about 40, uh, I made the decision, I can, I think I can add to that canon of, of young adult literature. And I wrote that novel. And that novel, uh, it's a Joyride uh, East, uh, was, was then, before it was published, I sold also the film rights and it was nominated as a manuscript without being published as best German, uh, young adult fiction debut. So, and that pretty much changed my life. That was, uh, that was a, a, I never ever did I dream about that or imagine that. I'd never, to that moment, I never thought like I would write a young adult fiction novel. So for me, all the 20 years prior to that, I still treat every novel the same way. And I still write young adult fiction or from the point of view of an 80 year old. So, but I treat them the same way. Yeah, and Thor, it, one of the things that I really love, I've been meaning to also point this out, is you do this wonderful job with showing, you know, because you've basically now taken two people, they've swapped genders, so they're now in each other's bodies, but you then have them have to deal with the problems that each one has to deal with according to their gender, their age. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, of course, both the same age, so that isn't an issue. I mean, they both know age, but they now know what it's like to be a girl at that age in high school. And the other one knows now what it's like to be a boy with a runny nose in yeah. high school. And and they, they, under, they begin to gain a sense of empathy. And I really do believe that anyone that reads this is going to get including the young adults that read this, a sense of empathy for what it's like to be that other gender and to understand, you know, a little bit of empathy. And I'm I'm going to guess from talk to you, that was maybe intentional, was it? That was exactly intentional. I think uh, already when I wrote it and planned it, um, I feel like empathy um, has to be partially uh, reintroduced or uh, sh shown in a new light or you know, should have a more chance. Also, in a, I mean, it's a first first thing, this novel is an entertaining novel, 
plot. That's what I, I want that people read it, that kids love it and laugh. And uh, what happened by either dozens of emails I got from parents that said, I read the novel too, after I saw my kid just laughing their heads off, right? Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm really glad also like that. And that is an effect I also didn't see coming that then parents were starting reading my novels. Of course, it's very common in uh, young adult fiction, but not necessarily in uh, contemporary sort of realistic settings. Um, but it, I feel like, yeah, if I do this little thing and uh, maybe also to bring, I don't know, families or, or yeah, friends closer together or just, you know, maybe that novel in my imagination, one or other mean comment was spared maybe because people read it. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it gives between, you know, Frank having his own problems and we are understanding him and then the empathy that you're, you're producing this. Yeah, I honestly hope so, too, that, you know, maybe there's somebody who read it who thinks twice, you know, about, you know, well, what is it like to be in that person's shoes? So, yeah, yeah. I think this I think if not, I mean, you're right. It is absolutely it's a very funny book. I mean, if anybody is, is thinking, you know, this is. This is, you know, all high minded and everything. Yes, there is. But like, but like Dome said, there is frosting on it. This, there is comedic frosting on the outside of this pill. So trust me, you, you won't notice it at all. But it is, it is a very funny book, but it has a wonderful, a wonderful thing to, to teach us, you know, at its very core and at its center. And I, that's, I think, one of the biggest things I took away when I finished reading this book was that there was a wonderful story about these two, the two characters suddenly beginning to understand one another better and maybe the readers being able to understand one another better. So. Yeah, that's it's what a, I hope. Yeah. It's, it's important to realize uh, when, when you're reading a book that sometimes a book is just a book. Sometimes a story is just a story. Sometimes it's just a bit of enjoyment. And sometimes it's something else as well. And this is one of those other times when Thorsten Nash has, has given us a little bit extra. And he's brought us something a little bit more. And what he's brought us is a book called I Am UMI, The Body Switch Comedy, which gives us the chance to look at others the way I see, the way they see us, and giving us a chance to look beyond what we can normally see. Thor, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. It was an absolute joy having you with us. And you're welcome back here anytime, sir. Thank you. Will do. <laughs> Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, 
consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. And now, for no particular reason whatsoever, Dr. K. The summer wind came blowing in from across the sea It lingered there to touch your hair and walk with me All summer long we sang a song and then we strolled the golden sand Two sweethearts And the summer wind Like painted kites Those days and nights They went by and by The world was new Beneath the blue umbrella sky Then softer than a piper man One day it called to you I lost you I lost you to the summer wind The autumn winds and the winter winds They have come and gone But still the days, those lonely days They go on and on And guess who sighs his lullabies Through nights that never end My fickle friend The summer wind The summer wind Warm summer wind mm, summer wind